Am I not turned on? Hold on. Let me. How about now? There we, there we go. Hey, good morning. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you all. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. Uh, if you're online, it's such a pleasure to have you guys here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if you're looking for a church home, a place to call family, we hope maybe you'll consider being a part of what God is doing here at Zion. If you're exploring faith, spiritually searching, seeking, looking for a place to learn about Jesus, faith, this Christian stuff, even a place you, maybe you're looking for a church home, we really hope you'd consider being a part of here. Uh, I cannot believe that we are less than a month away from Church in the Park. Is that, can we just give it up for that? Praise, excited about that. Um, it is pretty remarkable. Uh, if you're not familiar, if you're new to Clear Lake, um, for over 20 years, Zion has had the privilege of getting to Church in the Park every Sunday through summer, starting Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day, uh, barring inclement weather. And here's what I love about this, and this is why this is so important. Um, one, we get to do worship in the midst of God's creation. How cool is that? Uh, we have this beautiful lake, this beautiful park that we get to be a part of, but there's more than that is that every Sunday, we have the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel with anyone and everyone in earshot. <laughs> Whether they want to hear it or not, they're going to get to hear the gospel. And that's pretty awesome because here's what we know about God's word. We know that when God's word is preached, the Holy Spirit moves and it does not return void. How many agree with that? If so, say amen. We believe that. But there's also another side to it, and that is that we believe that our worship I actually believe that in our worship, when we put Jesus, exalt him high, when we sing as a community, when we gather together, that is a testimony to the world around us. It shows people, and I cannot tell you how many people I know personally that came to Zion because of Church on the Park, that I've met people who came to faith. They just, I, we had one guy who literally, and, and they moved out of the area now, but I remember him telling me, he's like, I wasn't so sure about this thing. I saw it every Sunday, and I, he kind of hid behind a tree the first time, didn't want to be seen by anybody. And he came the next week, and each time he just kind of moved a little bit further out from behind the tree and eventually joined and then became a part of our community. And, and so it really is an amazing opportunity for us. But there's another side to this. And the truth is, uh, last year, we did our entire summer series was on spiritual warfare. How many of you guys remember that or were here for that? We talked about the reality that there is an actual battle for the heart, minds, and souls of people, of humanity. That there is a real enemy, that Satan is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not the presence of evil. He is the embodiment of evil, but he's a fallen angel, and he is at war with God and God's creation and God's people. Satan hates Church in the Park. Hates it. He actually hates any time the community of faith gathers together in the name of Jesus as proclaimed. But sometimes I think we get caught into this thinking that we enter into a building that we're somehow safe. No, Satan's still trying to get in. But when we're out there, how many of you ever noticed that motorcycle that always drives around the exact same time? It's always like right at the heart of something, right? right? And, and here's the thing. The enemy wants to do everything he can to distract, discourage, and dissuade what God is trying to do. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a church family is that you would begin to pray with us even now. That first you would pray for our community, our church, that we would recognize the opportunity to love our city well by serving our city by doing church in the park. It is not the opportunity to, to check out. It's actually the time to check in and step up, and it begins with prayer. So I would ask that you would consider praying with us as a staff for all the people that God is trying to get a hold of during this awesome outreach at the park. That your prayers matter. We pray that the Holy Spirit, who's already begun moving in Zion, I'm amazed to see how God has been moving the last several months. It's pretty remarkable. 
And now we want to pray for the Spirit to pour into our community into Clear Lake and every person. And I'm praying specifically, and this is something you can be praying for, I'm praying that God uses the park this summer to set people free from addiction, from sin, from false God and promises to a life separate from Jesus. And so I would love if you would pray with us on that. Does that sound like a plan? Awesome. Um, With that being said, I believe this morning that Jesus has something for you that God wants to meet with you, that the Holy Spirit wants to break some chains in your life to set some people free here today. And I believe that one of the best ways to unlock what God has for me and for you is to invite God to move in us first. And so we started a couple months ago an opportunity for us to pray together as a community before we read our text for this morning. And so if you're not a Christian or you don't want to pray this, you don't have to. But if you want to, if you want to have an encounter with the Lord, if you want to meet with God, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and if you don't want to stand, it's okay, but if you want to stand with me, those who can or want to, and we're going to pray this prayer together, and then we're going to do our text for today. You guys ready? Here we go. Jesus, I come to you this morning humbled by your love for me. I have not loved you with my whole heart, but you love me with all of yours. Where I have sinned against you, forgive me. Where others have sinned against me, help me to forgive them. If there is something at the top of my ladder other than you, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, reveal the lies I have believed and that I might know your truth and freedom in Jesus. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is open to what you have for me this morning. I want to meet with you in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. And then here's our text for today. It's actually two texts all together now. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Next verse. Here we go. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. Um, I, I had a discussion with somebody on staff uh, and it kind of like we've started doing this prayer, this corporate prayer together and standing for the scripture. And, and the conversation was this. It's almost starting to feel a little liturgical, like traditional church. How many of you have ever felt, felt like that? It's a little kind of going back, right? Here's why we do this. And I want you to hear our heart and my heart. Um, one, it is important. And I believe that God moves when we ask God to. And I think sometimes what happens is, is how many of you ever found yourself coming in on a Sunday morning and you're distracted? Every hand better be up, right? I'll tell you, there are times I'm getting up ready to preach and I'm distracted by things that have happened. And, and the reason why we do a corporate prayer, and if you notice, it's different every week, is we do this prayer together as our way of saying, God, the first movement, I want you to move here. Because here's the thing, I don't want this to be wasted time, do you? I want to take every opportunity possible for the Holy Spirit to move in and through us. And so that's why we've started doing the prayer. And then God's word is worthy of standing up for. Because at the end of the day, his word is what brings life, not me. It's not what's said here. It's the word of God moving in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
Amen. Uh, we're in week four of our 40 Days of Purpose series, or what is called the Purpose Driven Life, from pastor and author Rick Warren. And, and we've been going through this, and we've encouraged you as a church community to read the book with us, but I know some of you are not, and that's okay. Uh, and, and the reason why it's okay is because every Sunday morning, it's not just a, a recap of what we learned. We're not just rehashing what you read. I, I'm trying desperately, seeking the Lord, going, okay, God, what do you have for us as a church? How can we talk about the theme that we're reading together, but actually see and hear more so that somebody who's not reading it can still understand the purpose that God has for us? Now, while it's connected to the message, it is, the reading is not dependent on the message. Does that make sense? So while the message is connected to the reading, it is not dependent on the reading. The reading is meant to help us be unified and to enhance our journey together. Over the past several weeks, we've discovered that all human beings, not just Christians, were created with one foundational purpose, all humans. All humans were created to know and love God and to make Him known and enjoy Him forever. This is God's desire for the pinnacle of His creation, His masterpiece called humanity. So whether or not you're a Christian, you could be an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim, whatever you might be, all human beings were made in the image of God and God wants them to know Him and to love Him and to enjoy Him forever. But there's a problem and this is where the latter illustration that came in, and, and we'll, we'll be getting back to that in a little bit here, but we talked about the issue of the ladder. At the top of the ladder, it's so easy to put the wrong thing, isn't it? We shared how uh, at the top of the ladder, it's designed, it's supposed to be God on the top of the ladder, but our first purpose, which flows out of our primary purpose, is to worship. Every human being was created to worship something or someone. Now, it's supposed to be God. It's supposed to be Jesus but because we're created with the need to worship, we usually put something else there. We elevate something else into that position of being top. And, and this asks the question, if God's not at the top of your ladder, what or who is? If God is not at the top, if he's not supreme in your life, what or who is? Or a better question is, what are the things that distract you from placing Jesus at the top of the ladder of your life? And then last week, as we looked at this overflow that you and I were created for God's pleasure, purpose number one, you were created to worship and bring glory to God. The word worship simply means to give ultimate value and worth to something or someone. That's all worship means. Whatever you give ultimate value and worth to, you worship. Whatever is supreme in your life, you worship. And you cannot help but do it. John Calvin, the 16th, 17th century theologian, said that the heart of man is an idol-making machine. We naturally create things to worship. So if it's not going to be God, it's going to be something else. And the question we dealt with last week is, what makes God worthy of your worship? Why does God deserve your worship? And the answer comes down to this as well, because He's God. He is the supreme creator of all creation, what is seen and unseen. Imagine for a moment a beautiful piece of artwork. Let's picture the Sistine Chapel. I've never had the privilege of going. It's one of my dreams is to get to see Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, the art brings pleasure to the artist. Do you think Michelangelo, when he was finished, felt good about it? Yes, because the art brings pleasure to the artist. But not only does the art bring pleasure to the artist, the art also brings glory to the artist which is why Michelangelo is famous to this day. Everybody looks at it. That work of art points to the artist, to the creator. The Bible tells us that you are God's artwork. You are God's masterpiece, and it brought him pleasure to create you. 
And not only did it bring him pleasure, but you were created to bring him pleasure and you were created to bring glory to God. That's what humans do. All human beings bring glory to God. That is your purpose. Creating you brought God pleasure and nothing gives God greater pleasure in your life than when you live out your purpose in your life. So when you do the thing that God created you to do, it makes God smile. I want you to think about that. You have a purpose in your life, and whatever that purpose is, when you live it out, it makes God happy. It makes Him smile. Now, often we'll go, like going to church, right, Jason? Yes, we were created to worship. We're created to sing and to worship God, but God has a distinct purpose for every human being, and when they live out that purpose, it makes Him happy. Maybe your purpose is, and we talked about this jokingly, but maybe it's to be a chef. Maybe God created you. Your purpose in the world is to create amazing food to bring glory to Jesus. How many of you know people that are really good cooks? Bethany Fairfax or Teresa Lee, they make amazing desserts. I tell you, every time I eat something, it gets me closer to Jesus. Um, It's partly because my arteries are hardening, but either way, I'm getting closer to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I call it God food. Um, And it's not insecure or arrogant of God to demand worship because he's God. And in fact, if God allows something else to be worshiped above him, that thing becomes God. God is simply what is supreme. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? So whatever supreme is supreme in your life becomes God. But this asks a very difficult question. There is no one worthy, deserving of our worship more than God. But God is not only worthy, deserving of our worship, He is also worth your worship. Everything, every time you worship something, it comes at a cost. And the question you must ask yourself is, is the cost of what you're worshiping worth it? Let's think about the cost of your worship. Time, energy, talents and gifts, treasures and resources, priority. But why is worshiping Jesus worth the cost? And this is what we dealt with last week, and I think it's important we come back to it. The short answer is because of who God is. His attributes and promises make Him worth it. Idols, which are false gods, the wrong things to worship, idols always over-promise and under-deliver. Every single idol does. Every time that you follow something other than God, it always makes you a promise. When I was a kid, I thought for sure, and and maybe some of you might remember this or relate to this. When I was a kid, if I got a hundred bucks, I thought I was a millionaire. You know what I'm talking about? I got a hundred bucks, I'm like, (gasps) right? And here's what happens. Now I get a hundred bucks, I'm like, well, there goes cable. (laughs) There's a night at the movies. Wow, right? And it's an amazing thing is that when I was a kid, I thought money would solve all the problems. And money is like a fishbowl like a fish in a fishbowl, the more money you get, the more money you spend. And, and think about all the people that are miserable in this world because of money. They have money. Money is not the solution to happiness, is it? We see time and time again, a job is not the solution to happiness. Idols overpromise and underdeliver, but God never overpromises and he never underdelivers. And how do we know this? Well, God is not just loving The Bible tells us that God is love. He is the epitome of love. God is not just merciful. He is mercy. If you want to know what mercy looks like, look at Jesus. He is justice. He is goodness. And he is faithful. How many people worship their jobs or money and they think about the people they sacrifice, the cost of worshiping their job. Think about how many families are torn apart, how many children are neglected. 
And I've watched marriages dissolved, children neglected, even bodily health ignored for a job. But here's the thing. You guys want to know how I know a job is not worth worshiping? What happens when a business needs to downsize? Do they care one bit about your needs? No. Because businesses exist to make money, not to make better families, not to make healthy people. That's, that's not the goal. Even a health business is in the business for what? Money. But God demonstrated through Christ that he is faithful to his promises. And here's the part for me why Jesus is worth it above all else. You guys ready for this? People are spending thousands, millions of dollars on self-help books to become better human beings. You know what I've discovered? When Jesus is the object of your worship, when he becomes a thing worth it, you actually become more human. Jesus makes you more loving. Jesus makes you more compassionate, more merciful. Because whatever, and this is the tagline, we have this at Zion, right? Whatever you believe in, you become. Whatever you worship, you become. And so Jesus is worth the cost for me, and I hope it is for you, because what I'm getting in return is to become more like Jesus, and that's pretty worth it, isn't it? Now, here we are talking about these purposes and values of what we're trying to become, and, and here's the thing, what, what you worship shapes you, it shapes the way you see God, it shapes the way you see yourself, the way you see others, it shapes the way you see your resources, even the way you see your circumstances, and so worship really does matter, and this challenge is us to ask the next question, again, who is who or what you are worshiping worthy, deserving of your worship, but is it worth the cost of your worship? Which leads us to today's purpose. The second purpose leading out of worship is you were created for God's family. Yes, you were created to worship, but you were also created to be a part of something bigger than you know, and that is God's family. And, and I started questioning this, going, what does it mean? How is that a purpose for my life to be a part of a family? I actually struggle with that. How can God's family be a purpose for my life? And the answer to this is actually pretty simple. Just like it was helpful to understand where the word worship came from, it's also helpful to understand where the idea of family came from. And what you may not realize is that if you want to understand where family comes from, I think there are two words that are helpful to know. Ready? The first one is this. You have an earthly family. Everybody say earthly family. Okay, that's the family you were born into. That's genetics, but it's also your best, your good friends. How many of you have people that are not blood relatives, but they're basically family? Ignore the people with the latter. No, you didn't. You were actually early, but we're good. It's all good. Stay right there. Stay right there. I did. I said, I said when I say the word family, get ready to come out. And they're like, family! <laughs> actually, go out. Get out of here. I'll call you back out. You're, you're like way early. Weren't, you really think I'm three quarters of the way done with my message? Man, I'm just warming up, brother. <laughs> Some of you are like, what time is it right now? <laughs> I like that, dude. He's like, preach it, brother. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Oh, earthly family. Okay, so you have your earthly family. That's genetics. That's your, the close friends. It's the people who are flesh and blood. Maybe it's adoption or a friend group. But you were created for a second family, which is your spiritual family. Everybody say spiritual family. So we have two families. You have an earthly family, you have a spiritual family. And I want to be clear, when we talk about spiritual family, we're talking about God's family. I want to make sure we're not talking about new age family or some ooh, spiritual thing. No, it is, we're talking about God's family. And the first two chapters of the Bible actually show us the very first family photo. 
but it's probably not what you're expecting. See, immediately when I think of that, I think of Adam and Eve. Oh, there we go. That's the first family. It's actually not the first family. In Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, God created. Now, you might be thinking, Jason, how is this family? I don't, that's God created. That's great. I don't understand. Well, we actually get the the fullness of this picture, because after the five days of creation, when it comes to day six, God creates humanity. And here's what the Bible said. This is the first spiritual family. It says that, let us create man in our image. Us and our, are those singular or plural? Now, here's the thing. You may not know this, and I tell you, the Jews actually didn't understand this, but it's the first kind of portrait of the family of God, which is God himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the first family, if you've ever heard this word before, have you ever heard the word Trinity? Okay, it's, not, it's nowhere found in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. You can look all through the pages. You will never find the word Trinity. But here's what we know. God's word through his divine revelation tells us that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. They are not three different gods forming some godhead like a spiritual Voltron, okay? That's not what's going on here. In fact, the mystery of the Trinity, yes, that's Voltron. Anybody Voltron fans? Rock and roll. Um, Rather, God is three distinct persons with different roles, different personalities, and different names who are one substance. And let's think about these two first ones. Father and son, those are family terms, aren't they? The very first picture of family we see in the Bible is God, who is eternally always existed in family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like, Jason, that's really confusing. I don't know that I fully get it. Welcome to the club. That's why it's called a mystery that theologians have been wrestling with for centuries. But this brings us back to Genesis again. And and again, here we have God on day six, the family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says that God forms man out of the dust. Here's Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the likeness, livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. So the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them both. That word let us is this idea of the family unit, which is God himself has always existed. Family is God's idea because God has always been family. Now, you may not catch how beautiful or how important this is, but if we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, you might remember the story. God creates Adam out of the dirt. The word Adam literally means of the earth. That actually wasn't his first name. It was a description of where he was made from. God took the dust and he breathed life into it and created man. And then he looks at Adam and says these words, it is not good for man to be, anybody know the last word? Alone. Why is it not good for man to be alone? Why did God create Eve from Adam's side? Because if God has never been alone, then humans should certainly never be alone. If God has a family, humans must have family too because we're made in his image. Family is a holy idea. It is God's idea. It's simple. God has never been alone. And if God has never been alone, God does not want you to be alone. 
The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been in perfect relationship. And even though Adam and Eve were made of physical, of earth and dust, they were in direct connection with God. So when Adam and Eve were created, the spiritual family and the physical family were united in one sense. Does that make sense? They were directly connected with God. We have this beautiful picture of God walking through the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in fellowship with them. There was direct connection and then sin entered the picture. And the damage of sin did is what happened was sin severed the spiritual connection between God and his creation. But sin also separated the physical connection between Adam and Eve. Sin has a devastating effect on us. And we look around the world and we see this. From that moment on, we see how dangerous sin actually is because the effects on it, on sin, the, the effects of sin don't just affect us naturally, they affect us spiritually. So when earthly families become disconnected from their spiritual family, which is God, it doesn't just lead to broken families, it brings brokenness into the world. Families are broken right now. Would you agree with that? When you look out into our culture, not just American culture, across the world, the family unit is being stretched in a pretty dangerous way. And where that comes from is because we've lost our connection with God. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore what was lost because every earthly family is messed up. God knew that he had to provide the solution. I want you to think of every earthly family. There, there are no families that have it all together, whether it be the rebellious child, the uncle no one likes to talk about, the marriage that's struggling. And while all families have brokenness, some families are actually broken. This is why we see divorce and affairs, abuse, fatherlessness, orphans. I want to bring you back to something that we talked about last week when we asked the question of, is God worth your worship? And here's why I believe God is worth your worship and my worship. Because God is so gracious and so compassionate, even though we literally have turned our backs on God, even though we wanted nothing to do with God, our sin fractured that relationship. God is so good, so loving, so compassionate that his mission from the minute the fall happened in the garden, his mission has been to restore what was lost, to restore his spiritual family those he created to be in relationship with him. And what we discover is one of the most common threads in the Bible. This is found from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but he also came to create a new forever family. Everybody say forever family. Through his life, death, and resurrection. And the forever family is different than the natural family. Now, this is the, the, the wonderful thing is if you have family members who are in Christ, who are believers with Jesus, they are both your natural family and your forever family, your spiritual family. But what makes the forever family so important is that in God's eyes, this new family is not determined by DNA, but by the blood of Jesus. That what's, that's what unites us. How many of you have ever done 23andMe? Or one of the ancestry, one of those, right? I've done it. Jesus came to create a new family and you will not find it on 23andMe. Listen to what Ephesians 2 says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
His purpose was to create himself one new humanity, one new family out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The idea of family was God's idea, and because it's God's idea, Jesus needs to redeem the family. And this becomes the family of God. All of you were born into earthly families. You may not like the family you were born into, but you were born into it nonetheless. Some of you are, you're blessed. You have families that love Jesus and praise God for that. Some of you may struggle with going, why, do, why was I born into this family? I don't understand. But there's one thing that all natural families have in common, whether they're a good family or a not so good family, whether a healthy family or an unhealthy family, all natural families have one thing in common and it's kind of hard news. They're all temporary. Every single human family is temporary because all of us will one day die. Anybody here know your great-great-great-great-grandmother's name? How about great-grandmother? Eventually, all of us will die, which means our natural family will come to an end. But God intended to create an eternal family in Christ. Now, and this is not meant to be harsh, or, or and, and it is being critical, but it's not meant to be harsh. This is not so you can inhabit another world and eventually become gods like Mormonism preaches. That's not what we believe. That's not the kind of family we're talking about. We're talking about the family that is brought through Jesus that now connects us through the blood of Christ. Because God is eternal, this means God created the idea of family with eternity in mind. God created you to be a part of something. Let's go back to our verse for today. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The people he's referring to that did not receive him were the Israelites. The Israelites were a natural family. You can genetically take a test that shows that you, are, you have genetic descendants to Israel. He wanted them to be a spiritual ambassador family that would bring Gentiles, that's non-Jews, to God. They didn't do that. And as a result of that, what you ended up having was they rejected Christ. And so Jesus, and this is what Romans tells us, is that God realized that the Jews did not want God, so he decided to go out to the Gentiles and meet the Gentiles. And so you now have Jewish Christians, those are Jews who believe in the Messiah, and then you have Gentile Christians who are all united in Christ, but they're united under a supernatural act of God. But to all who did receive him, that's who received Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God's family, again, is not connected by DNA, but by faith in Jesus. And that's why you are connected. In this room right now, we are, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are in Christ. And that family, as Galatians, as Paul wrote in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you are now Abraham's seed. You are part of the covenantal promise. You are part of God's family. Now, if you have done a DNA test, here's what I think a lot of people, check this out, okay, side note here. Um, I took the I took 23andMe and I found out I'm like 59% Neanderthal. True, that's not a joke. I'm 59% more Neanderthal than the rest of the population, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I have no clue, but that literally was on my test. You are 59% more Neanderthal. So uh, 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 there we go. Here's the problem that we think the spiritual family is. Did you know there's no genetic test that says 
Well, you're 35% Lutheran, 15% Catholic, 42.3% non-denominational, and 7.7% Baptist. There's no genetic test for that. So when I talk to somebody, I say, oh, you're a Christian. I say, oh, I was raised Lutheran. Great, I went to McDonald's. Doesn't make me a chicken nugget. (laughs) I don't care that you went to church growing up. I mean, I do, but that's not what makes you part of the family of God. What makes you family of God is Jesus. Now, here's why I bring this up. Jesus says, how do you know who is my family? Because again, I can't take a genetic test. We don't walk around with badges that say family of Jesus. I don't do that. So how do we know? Well, Jesus says the answer in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my family, if you love one another. Did you know the word one another means the church? It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. 50 of them are specifically about God's people. The one another does not mean if you're a loving person. There are a lot of loving atheists. It's how we love each other as the family of God. First John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And now I want to have my friends come out and help me with the ladder. Because they were way early. And now they're probably not even listening. Can I get two volunteers? <laughs> there they are, okay. We've been talking about the family of God. This is when you were supposed to come. <laughs> okay, now we've been talking about the ladder and that at the top of our ladder is supposed to be God. I want one of you to stand on this side, one of you to stand on this side, okay? See, the family of God, the reason why you have a family is one that God has created you to be a part of that family and here's why. If God is supposed to be at the top of this ladder, we need people who will keep us grounded in Christ. Because sometimes our ladder gets a little shaky, doesn't it? How many of you right now are going through a season in your life where you're struggling? Please don't drop me. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> Notice, I'm more nervous now that they're holding it. What does that say about church, right? I'm just saying. How many of you right now, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, some of you right now are really struggling in your faith. And you know what I found, and this is the scariest part, sometimes when people struggle in their faith, instead of leading into their family, which grounds them and keeps the ladder from shaking so much, they leave the church. Instead of being a part of the church, which is meant to keep them grounded in it, that's when they start bailing and going, well, I need to, I'm more busy because I don't feel God. The purpose of family is to keep us grounded, but it's also, what happens when I want to bring the wrong thing on the top of my ladder? Now, please don't pull me down because that would end poorly. <laughs> Their job, the role of family, is to keep us grounded, but also to be a support and encouragement. That's my job for you, but that's also your job for me. As a family, we support one another to become the Christians that we want to be so that we keep God at the top. Everybody, does that make sense for everybody? You get what I'm saying? So what happens is, is so many Christians make church not a priority for their life. They make it, well, if I have time, I'll go. That's like neglecting your family. If you have a hand and if you're missing these two fingers... Most times, are you going to trust those fingers? No. That's great if they show up all of a sudden, but if they stop working or don't show up most of the time, you're going to stop depending on them. Every time you become to church, every time you are part of what God is doing, you are living out the one another. You are loving one another, but it's not just that you guys can leave. Thank you guys. Can we give it up for them? Thank you. The spiritual family of God is meant to keep us grounded, but also we need each other. And this is hard because people who were raised in 
good, healthy homes that love Jesus, they might go, well, Jason, I already have a family. I don't need a spiritual family. Tough, you've already got one if you love Jesus. Here's how you know the difference between an unhealthy church family and a healthy one. An unhealthy church or faith demands that you leave your family. A healthy church family will call you to supernaturally love your family for Jesus. An unhealthy church or faith preys on broken people from broken families. And what I mean by praise is not praise for, praise on. A healthy church family prays for God to restore and heal broken families. An unhealthy church or faith tells you the only thing that matters are the people in the family. So if you're at a church, if I ever get up here and say, we're the only people in your life and you can't be anywhere else, run for the hills. Like, or fire me, please, get rid of me. A healthy church recognizes that people matter. And yes, we must take care of each other because we're called to be the family of Christ. God purposely chose the natural family that you were born into. But now, if you're in Jesus, he's purposely created a new family for you to be a part of as well. And this is why evangelism is so important. Did you know that in the first century, whenever someone became a Christian, here's what the Bible says in Acts. There's a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius came to faith. He then led his entire household to Jesus. Why? Because he wanted his family, his natural family, to become his spiritual family in Jesus. And if you have brothers and sisters, family members who, aren't, who don't know Christ, who aren't a part of that, here's what you can do. Pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit begins to move in them. Love. Love them as Christ loved the church. Now, and here's the greatest witness you can do. Love your church family more. And what I mean by that is this. Show them that the church family is a holy and sacred place filled with really messed up people. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. I want to invite the worship team back out. See, they could have stayed out, I guess. I could have just left them here and stand there. But <laughs> We live in a time when people go to a building on Sunday morning. They attend an hour-long service and call themselves members of a church. That should sound, sound, sound shocking to us. This is from Francis Chan in his book, Love Letters to the Church. He said, imagine for a moment if the Apostle Paul, if you could picture the Apostle Paul hanging out, uh, Paul and Peter, imagine them saying, hey, I go to Zion. They have great music and I love the kids program. Cool. Can I check out your church? Peter turns him and says, hey, can I check out your church next Sunday? I'm not getting much out of mine. Is that how Peter and Paul talked about church? No. Church was not a building. Church was not a thing you consumed. Church was something you were a part of. It was the family of Christ. I want to read this last part from Francis Chan. The fact that we have reduced the sacred mystery of church to a one-hour service we attend is staggering. Yet that's the way I defined it for years. Pushing the church to live as a family is not some gimmick, some flavor of church that would be fun to try. It's actually commanded. We are commanded to be a part of a supernatural spiritual family of God that is bought by the blood of Jesus. This is the invitation that God has for you. Romans 8, Paul says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership and by which we cry, Abba, Father. It's our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit that makes us a spiritual family. But there's a catch. There's absolutely a catch. God created you in such a way that the power of the Holy Spirit comes alive and is fueled, is strengthened, is lived out through the church family. There are no lone Christians. If you ever see a wolf by himself, it's a sick wolf. 
You were created to be in family. So when I meet Christians who say, well, Jason, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, you don't. Salvation is found through Jesus alone. But if you want to be a healthy Christian, you must be a part of a church. You must be a consistent part of a local body of Christ that you are part of. You do not consume church. You participate in church. We are committed to one another. Did you know we had 40 people who signed up for new membership on Sunday? That's a celebration. Can we just thank God for that? But here's the greatest celebration of all because the challenge that we gave them was not now come on Sunday morning. It was no be a part of the family of Christ. That is bigger than what happens on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the time we gather together. as a, It's a family reunion, but it's also how we meet in small groups. This is why Paul tells us that he calls us the body of Christ, an arm and a hand. And, and he says, at what point? No one can say, I don't need the hand. You need the hand. I need you. You need me. We need each other as the family of Christ. Does that make sense? And here's what I want to end with, and then we're going to close in worship. Would you stand with me? You were created to be a part of a church family because faith that is disconnected from a local church community will at best grow weak and tired, and at worst, it will wither and die. If you want to have Holy Spirit power in your life, it happens in the church. It's not independent. Yes, you can still have alone time and devotional time, but it is important that you are part of the family of God because not only does the family need you, you need the family. It is a spiritual family that is a forever family in Christ. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do as we get prepared to sing this last song. I want you to think about who is somebody right now? Is there someone in your life that you know needs Jesus? That you wanna be part of this family? That you want to know Jesus? I want you to picture them in your mind right now. If you have them, raise your hand. Once you can see that person, raise your hand. I want you to picture that person in your mind and we're gonna pray a prayer very simply and you're gonna repeat after me. Here it is, ready? Lord Jesus, I pray that you meet my brother and sister. Work in their life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in them. Give me the wisdom to know how I should act, what I should say, and how I should love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close in this last worship song. And as we do this, I wanna invite you, if you wanna raise your hands as an act of worship to Jesus, great. If you're not a Christian yet, if you want to become a part of the spiritual family of Christ, I wanna invite you to receive it this morning. The invitation is for you. There is adoption. There's a holy moment happening today. And if you need prayer, we'll have people in the corner who will pray for you. Let's come and worship the King.